Hey everyone, welcome back to another interview episode of the Right Way Podcast. And today's guest is one of my favorite authors and one of my favorite people I have met on this author journey. Today we are chatting with the one and only Wendy Walker, who is also an author of psychological suspense novels. Um, you might know some of her works, All Is Not Forgotten, Emma in the Night, which was a huge success. The Night Before in her latest, Don't Look For Me. Um, her novels have not only been translated into 23 foreign languages, she has topped bestseller lists, both nationally and internationally. She has been selected by, oh, you know, a little uh, known book club, the Reese Witherspoon Book Club, the Today Show, the Book of the Month Club. Her books have literally been everywhere. But what I love about Wendy is she actually started in both law and finance and really switched gears kind of later in life to become a writer. And she applied her business acumen to the career of writing, which is something we talk about all of the time. And one thing I've always really admired about Wendy is not only is she a hustler in terms of working harder than any other author that I know to ensure that she gets paid what she is worth. So she is someone who really negotiates her advances and is more concerned about getting paid well to write her books than trying to control and dictate the end result and who actually buys her books. Now, that being said, she is so incredibly smart about how she approaches promotion, about how she approaches social media, about where she spends her money, where she doesn't. Um, she is so unbelievably generous when it comes to promoting other authors' works. And today we really get into all of that. We get into her path, how she came to be a writer, the ups and downs of the publishing industry, and how one of my favorite things about her is when the pandemic hit, you know, so many of us writers are like, oh my God, what do we do? You know, uh, how are we going to make this work? And she decided to really branch into Audible Originals. She has an Audible Original book, Hold Your Breath, which is so fun and amazing. So again, instead of just like waiting on the industry, she was looking at what she could do to still make money. This is this is her career. This is something she takes extremely seriously. And that is what I love so much about her is not only is she a brilliant writer, um, which again, she had to learn to write. It wasn't something that she's just kind of always done. She really learned that craft and then figured out how to be successful at it. And for those writers out there who really do want to make money, who want to brush past that stupid stereotype that you can't make money as a writer. This is the episode for you. Wendy Walker is the author to know. She's so incredible. We hope you enjoy this extremely fun, informative interview with the one and only Wendy Walker. Hey guys, welcome to Right Way, a podcast where we give you insight to make informed decisions about your writing career. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, multi-published author and CEO and founder of Right Way. And I'm Joe Tower, writer, media producer, and Right Way's executive editor. On this podcast, Rhea and I will take an inside look at the publishing industry with honest and straightforward shop talk. So when you do get published, you'll know exactly what to do the right way. Wendy, first of all, it's so nice to have you on the show. And I, I just want to start out by telling everyone, like we talk a lot about generosity in this business. And when I think about generosity, the very first author I always think about is you because Aww. it's so true though. <laughs> like you're, you. when I was, you know, in 2018, I was debuting, you're just so welcoming, so accommodating. You're such a cheerleader for everybody else's work. Um, you know, Wendy actually blurbed my first book, not her daughter, and she didn't know who I was. And I, I just think you've been so kind. Um, and it's just such a testament to your success and who you are. So just wanted to start off with that and saying, thank you. Um, thank you. I really appreciate that. I, I feel 
as though I was helped when I first started out and, uh, and it meant everything. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to give back every, every time I'm asked. Well, you definitely do that and more, um, you know, as an author, of course, you've had such wild successes with your books, but I'd love to take it back, back a bit and talk about how you transitioned from finance and law to writing thrillers. Cause I think that's awesome. <laughs> so where did that, where did that journey start for you? Oh, wow. Um, so it's a long journey and it's yeah. every time I, I speak with authors, it's amazing to hear their long journeys because they're all different, but but they, you know, they're all winding roads. And that's the one thing about writing. There's no clear path. You can mm. get an MFA five different ways and different things and still never get published. And you can never study writing and have a bestseller, you know, right out of the gate. So, um, so I actually, you know, I say that I never, I never thought about, about being a writer or doing anything that didn't have a clear path because, that's really true. I, I was, um, it, it never would have occurred to me, even though I always loved storytelling. I loved watching soap operas. Yeah. I, I loved, you know, hearing stories. I, I was always the last friend, you know, in the circle when someone was, you know, telling a story over mm. and over about a, a fight with their boyfriend or whatever it was. Um, and so, but it, but it just never occurred to me to do anything in my life that didn't have a clear path. So I, I went to college, I studied, um, economics, I worked on wall street, and then I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. So I went to law school and then I was a lawyer. And then all of a sudden, uh, I decided, you know, okay, it's time to be a mom. So I became a stay home mom out in the suburbs at, with the plan of going back to the law at some point. And, uh, and then everything just stopped, like everything stopped. Uh, I was sitting on the floor playing with toys with a nine month old baby and really losing my mind because I was not, um, you know, I was not engaged in that part of my brain anymore, the sort of intellectual part. And so I started thinking, what can I do? What can I do? You know, I don't want to just do volunteer work. I want to do something that might lead to something. And, um, and I also realized that it was going to be very hard to go back to practicing law full-time mm. with, you know, with, with a house full of children and trying to be the kind of parent I wanted to be, not that I had to be, or that my sure. children, my children needed me to be, but that I wanted to be, I wanted to go to every soccer game. I wanted to go to every, you know, every talent show. I wanted to be home with them when they were sick. Um, and so um, I, I thought, oh, I'll, what if I wrote a novel? <laughs> you know? That's awesome. What an incredible, yeah, that's uh, hilarious. It's, and seriously, I had never, I, I took one creative writing class um, in college. I took it pass fail and it was like a filler class, you know, to get, cause I had, I had taken like six classes or something ridiculous. And, um, and so I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so I studied, um, three of my favorite John Grisham novels. And I just, I, oh, I, oh I tried to teach myself the structure because I love those books and I wanted to write legal thrillers. So I taught myself the structure and then I had the story in my head and I, over a few years, I wrote this novel. And I think, I think what happened was when I, when I suddenly had the ability to do something that didn't have a straight path, it, I gave myself permission to explore other possibilities the mm. fact that writing a novel is, is what came into my head tells me that it must have been there all along this desire to tell stories and be involved in a business of story of that that was involved with you know telling stories yeah. and um obviously i wasn't going to be a movie star or an actor or a you know or or a screenwriter so i mean i read novels so that was that was the form it originally took which i know is sounds very strange oh that i love started. it um, but the funny thing is a few years in, I then I had two kids um, by the time I finished this legal thriller and I, there was no, there was no internet back then. There was no, there were no editors you could find online, no resources like they have now, no podcasts, nothing. Mm. So I found a writing professor at a local college who was willing to read the book and oh called me on my landline. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. This is <laughs> uh, so a long time ago. And, and, he, said, and he said, you, you have a great story here, like a great story, but you don't know how to write a novel. And, hmm. and that was when I realized I had no idea how to use 
dialogue and narration. I had no idea how to set a scene because I'd never studied it. And I had, I gained enormous respect for writers realizing how many tools you need to have in your toolbox to write a novel. And it can't, it doesn't matter how great your story is and your plot twist and your characters and how insightful you are and witty. None of that matters if you don't have the tools to put it on the page and form it into a novel. So he gave me a crash course. I rewrote that novel, um, had another baby, got an agent by sending out 80 packages of um, you know, yes. different versions yes. of the manuscript, three chapters, 50 pages, a one-page oh. synopsis, a five-page synopsis, all copied at Kinko's while I was in the months. mail. Yes. In the mail. For, the, for any for snack. any for any listener who's under like 30. They're like, oh my gosh. This like write all this down. Yeah. They're like, wait, this is like a dinosaur. Oh, I love it. I miss those. I love it. Yeah, totally. Oh man. So and do you remember the sass, the self-dress stamped envelope? Yes. So it was like basically, I looked at that every time I put a stamp on the envelope. I felt like it was, you know, a mafia movie where they have yeah. a gun to your head and they make you dig your own grave. Uh, and every stamp was like, I was digging another, you know, shovel full uh, of dirt out of my grave. Because for those of you who don't know, that's, that's the envelope that the edit, the agents use to send you a rejection letter. Cause they don't want to have the actual, stamp. The, the actual financial investment oh, in, it's insane. Uh, in printer paper, manila envelopes <laughs> yep. and SASEs is, and stamps and postage is insane. Yep. And the little binder clips and all yes. that. Oh my God. Butterfly I clips. That. I miss butterfly clips. So much. <laughs> oh my gosh. So anyway, so that was, uh, and I found an agent and then, um, you know, uh, the book didn't sell. She did it old school. She was, she yeah. was, um, an old school agent and she, so every six weeks I would get a new rejection letter in the mail from a new, oh. from an editor because she oh. send it to one editor at a time and give them oh six God. weeks to respond. Oh my God. Talk about patience. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, you know what? But I had a newborn baby. Yep. I, I, my, I luckily I was consumed with that and not the failure that was rolling in every six weeks. Um, but I decided, okay, I have an agent. And I think this is how you have to think as a writer. Every little step is something. If you, I had an agent, I mean, my gosh, that was huge back huge. then. And I think it still is. So I decided to write another novel. I was then consumed with um, suburbia and suburban mm -hmm. culture and stay home momhood and all these issues. So I wrote um, sort of a fiction, I won't call it women's fiction, although some might, but I wrote a sure. fiction novel. Um, and that one actually, um, got picked up by St. Martin's. Um, yes. and so then, you know, lesson, so lesson number one, getting an agent doesn't mean you're home free. Lesson number two, getting any publishing deal of any kind doesn't mean you're home free and you have a career. It means that you're going to spend every bit of that tiny advance on your own PR, your own website, mm -hmm. your own marketing, because when you get a low advance, generally speaking, you don't get a lot of resources from the publisher. Yep. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. But anyway, so I had two books. Oh, we'll with, get into it. Yeah, I, yeah. So I had two books with them, um, and then that didn't sell. Thank you to all my friends and family who bought the copies <laughs> that sold. Um, I paid for all of my events. I had all my friends around the country like host me at local bookstores and invite their friends. And I mean, it was it was like you know crazy, um, and had a, had negative income from that as well. And then I was divorced. And so I had like a holy, you know, what moment of, okay, not making money, losing money. Um, I tried to make a living as a writer. I edited books for chicken soup for the soul. Um, oh, wow. Oh my God. Yeah. Because they, 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 they got, they were acquired by some investors who were in my area and they, uh, they knew of me. And so they hired me to, um, to edit. Uh, I did, think I did a total of three books with them. Wow. And then they, then they did started doing everything in-house, but it wasn't, it was not um, lucrative uh, be, for the amount of time to come through thousands of stories, shape, pick them, shape them, edit them, put them into a format that, you know, sort of made sense mm -hmm. in one, one type of book. Um, so that I went back to practicing law and- oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I gave up writing uh, and I 
found work as a divorce attorney. And this, this all goes into this story. I'm sorry, it's such a long answer, but I- No, it's amazing. I got trained in psychology. So before I had training as a lawyer and I had written legal thrillers, then I was a mom and I wrote about mom stuff. And then I, I got all this training into psychology, tr being trained as a child um, advocate, being um, trained to identify personality disorders, uh, you know, all sorts of sociopathic illnesses, because mm -hmm. it was just important to see that in high conflict cases to understand what you were dealing with. And so I had this knowledge and I dealt with those people uh, for yeah. five years. I mean, it's, you know, day, day in and day out with sometimes clients who have these disorders, sometimes their spouses, sometimes the lawyers, a lot of the lawyers, um, you know, just, yeah. it, it was, it was, um, and I, and so those five years, I gained all this knowledge in psychology. I didn't completely quit writing. I wrote a couple of screenplays that didn't sell. And then I wrote another fiction novel. And when that was done, I, I decided uh, to look for a new agent. I found a new agent, the one that I have now, Wendy, Wendy. Sherman. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> it was amazing. And she, um, we worked on that novel for a, um, she helped me revise it for a year. I did seven revisions. So I, you know, working wow. single mom Jeez. revising day and every minute the kids were with their dad. That's all I did. And I, I would work for 12 hours on Saturday and Sunday if they were with their wow. dad revising this book. And after a year, she, she, she said, I, I, this is just, there's no place for it in the market to re to sort of get you what you want, which is a career. And at that point, I almost, I really almost quit at that point. Oh, I, yeah. I yeah, cried. In fact, when she told me I cry, I was hysterical. I cried. Like I had not cried in, I don't even know how many years. Well, I have to say, I'm fascinated that the, the writing quote unquote bug, like got you when it did and yeah. really stuck with you. Like you really, you really kept at it, which I think is incredible. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, don't you think it's the thing, the thing about writing is that you, you can get, you get a little taste of it and you, you get mm -hmm. your foot in the door mm -hmm. and it's so hard to then let that go. But the time commitment oh. to keep at it is so intense. And the financial commitment. And the financial <laughs> commitment. So, yeah. so I, what I did is at that point, I, I decided I needed a sign from the universe and I don't believe in those things. So I created my own universe. Love it. And I said, okay, what is the universe that can send me a sign? And, and the universe is okay, I now have tools in my toolbox. I now have a really great agent. My agent, um, I have time to write one more book. And then if, if I do everything right, everything like across the board, everything I've learned about the business side and the creative side and the skill side. And now what I know about psychology, if I do everything right and I don't sell the book for an amount that really launches me, then I'm done mm -hmm. because I can't afford to, I, I need to focus on one or the other. And so I went to my agent and said, what, what book do you want me to write? What book do you wish I could put on your desk that you will say, thank you, Wendy, I'm going to take this to every editor in town and they're all going to love me. And we're going to have a huge auction and make tons of money. What book would that be? And she said it would be the next gone girl. So then I would did what I had done before. I went and studied all of the psychological thrillers that had been successful. And I tried to figure out what about them, not to copy them, but to understand what people were loving about them. And then I wrote All Is Not Forgotten in like 10 weeks. And it Jesus. was the universe spoke. We had a huge auction. Oh. We had sold movie rights. This Before we even signed the book deal, we had sold the movie rights. It was a watershed and the rest, I guess, is sort of, history. Oh, <laughs> so you got your sign, Wendy. I got my yeah. sign. It could have gone either way. That but... shit works. <laughs> um, I mean, and I think this is fascinating just not only because uh, you, I mean, this really is a fascinating story. And I think that because you had such a pragmatic approach to so much of your life, like you said, you were like, you liked things where there's like a direct line of you know, I'm going to study economics. I'm going to or study economics, work in finance. I'm going to study law. I'm going to be a lawyer. And then you, you did the same with writing. And even though it's a secure, circuitous approach, like you, you have that kind of, you have that kind of engine, right? You have that ambitious kind of like determined engine, but I'm, I'm curious only because you also seemingly had like two different writing careers. You had this like beginning this beginning and then to take a break from it and like totally pivot in another direction and then come back to it. 
and achieve success. How did you, not only as a new writer who was like just learning uh, not only the craft, but the trade, and then coming back to it later with this, with, uh, with All Is Not Forgotten, what, how did you, what was, what did success look like for you or how did they com compare with each other? Like at any stage, what did you, what did you want out of it? What honestly, what I wanted out of it at that point was a career. Yeah. I, and I had come to terms with the fact that um, my desire to write, my love of storytelling might have to be put on hold for more pragmatic um, concerns, um, such as building a career that would sustain me uh, throughout my life, starting to build a retirement for myself, um, and and being a being a single mom and their dad, you know, he was he was not I was not like poor single mom, like, you know, um, you know, living off of, you know, throw thrown away food at the grocery <laughs> store. It was not a hard lock, hard luck J.K. Rowling kind of story. Uh, but I had there was a ticking clock on, you know, on on our arrangement. That's the amount of support and versus the amount of. of time that I had my kids and the amount of uh, time that I spent with my kids. So I needed a career. I need to start, needed to start building a career. I, I had to really um, be smart and pragmatic and look, every dream doesn't come true. This is the thing like every, and it's, it's so hard to try to explain this to kids, you know, as you're raising them, you don't want to, you don't want them to not dream and try, but you know, I, it's like now this is the example I always give. I can't just say I'm going to be an Olympic gymnast at 54 sure. and start yeah. doing cartwheels in my living room. Like that's not, I don't know, happen. Wendy, you see, <laughs> you might be able to do it. I, you know. the shit that you set your mind to, <laughs> you know, there are some, like, there are some things that aren't, some dreams are not going to come true and you have to find a, a way of figuring out which ones to pursue and which ones to let go of, or maybe put on a back burner and make it a hobby. But I will say this to those who, you know, might be listening and thinking, oh my gosh, it's so such a horrible story about writing because, you know, we love to talk about the story that has to be told, the story that's burning inside you, the creative juices you can't suppress and how they come out of you somehow. And it's like magic. And I will say that all is not forgotten um, did have some of that magic. It was, it was, um, it was, this is the genre I was meant to write in. Mm -hmm. So being given this, you know, directive from my agent was, um, you know, she saw this ability in me and the market was there and I had the knowledge of psychology and they're the writing about trauma mm -hmm. and the impact of trauma, the effects of it how, you know, all of these, all of these trauma related, um, psychological, um, illnesses and, um, and events are, are the stories I am drawn to and love to tell. Mm -hmm. And when I got into the mind of Dr. Forrester and all is not forgotten, it was like just being in my own skin every day and being yeah. him, being able to be him. I had never written in first person. So having that freedom as well, it was this new skill. Again, another tool I had to learn. Um, so there was a little bit of magic there in that it was definitely the voice I was meant to write in and the genre I was meant to write in. And, and it, fortunately I had the tools, you know, this, this knowledge of psychology and the right people behind me um, for it all to come together. So there was a little bit of, of that mystical, like writing magic involved as well. Absolutely. And I mean, you talk about, you know, one of your goals was to have a career, which you've done so well. And I think it's really easy for people to just look at what you've accomplished and be like, oh, she must've just had been tapped by the golden wand and it all <laughs> happened for her so easily. But your books, I mean, in terms of success and how we gauge success as writers, I mean, you've pretty much hit almost all of them. Your books have been chosen by Reese's Book Club, the Today Show, Book of the Month Club. And I feel like these are the accomplishments that we chase as writers. But can you talk about, you know, how you reached each of those pinnacles? And also, does it actually feel as good as everyone thinks it should? Or is it just kind of this like fleeting moment and on to the next thing? 
Um, yes, it is. It's a fleeting moment and on to the next thing. Sorry to say. No, that's, 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 <laughs> everyone needs to hear that. No, because, they do because you no, know? yeah, like I, the success from all is not, not forgotten was, was tremendous coming from starting from, you know, pretty much nothing, but it didn't, it wasn't like a, um, you know, silent patient or a gone girl moment. It was, it was a great moment, but it never, you know, didn't hit the New York times list. It made other lists, but it didn't, it didn't become, I didn't become a household name overnight. I didn't become, you know, the kind of author where every book that I wrote after that was guaranteed to be, uh, uh, you know, to hit the New York times list and sell X number of copies. Um, it, it put me on the map. It, it got me, you know, a lot of events. Um, and then honestly, it's still my best selling book. So yeah. mm. I feel as though every book I have to keep fighting, mm-hmm. keep promoting, keep cross promoting, keep working. And I can't just sit back and, you know, write a book a year, a book every other year. And it's just, and just let the machine, you know, give it to the machine and the machine will, will make it an instant bestseller. That is not my, uh, where I am at. I'd love to be there and I hope to be there one day, but I'm still climbing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like, I feel like I got halfway up the mountain. Like somebody, you know, propelled me out of a cannon and I got to skip, you know, the first half of the mountain. And now I, now I'm like (laughs) with all the other people on that, you know, at that little juncture, trying to make it to the summit with my 12 oxygen tanks and gear and my, you know, ice picks and my nose like freezing (laughs) off. I mean, I feel like that's where I'm at. So I am in the trenches. Um, and, and I'm grateful for that, you know, that initial boost that got me halfway up, but you can, you can slip down so fast. Oh, God. Well, yeah. and, and and we and regarding that, regarding being in the trenches, we we do talk a lot about that in the podcast, and obviously we talk about it with with clients. The fact that you know, and you mentioned this before, like you get a small advance. <clears throat> there's not many resources for you in this. There's so much about selling the books that you're gonna do on your own. So, I mean, given uh, you know all this, all the recent six on the mountain or not, like in the trenches or not, how much recent success you've had. Regarding publicity and your books, um, can you talk a little bit about your your approach to handling that and what's worked worked best for you? I understand you do you work you work with your sister on publicity? Is that well? Um, I just briefly. So what my sister does PR out in LA for big fashion companies. She's not involved with books at all. But um, when um, when the night before came out, and this was a year before COVID. So there's like, there's like pre COVID and post COVID. And, and I got very lucky in the sense that, um, my sister, you know, she, everything is about influencers in her Mm -hmm. business and Instagram. And, um, you know, now it's, it's moving a little bit to, um, you know, to other, um, you know, platforms, but Instagram is still a really powerful influencer for her brands. And this was, you know, two years ago. So it was, before TikTok and, um, you know, some of the newer, newer formats, but, um, so we had a little powwow and she said, well, let's just see, let's see if we can, we can get you a bigger presence on social media. So you have more control Mm -hmm. and that, and then we can get some influencers and let's see if we can get them to post about your book and see if it sells books and see if it helps. And, so she, um, I sort of hired her firm to, to do a, a campaign for me with the night before. And, you know, I went from 1200 followers to 12,000. I got verified. Um, we did some paid influencers to do posts of them with, at, you know, with their with holding my book. And then we had some organic ones. We sent the book out to a lot of celebrities and we had some posts by, you know, Jessica Alba posted about the book organically without being paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, Kristen Ritter picked, well, she had picked Emma in the night as a book of the month club picks. That was huge. So, you know, we had, I, I, I got a boost from that. No question about it. And, and so from there, I was in a position the following year when COVID hit and I had the paperback of the night before and the hardcover of don't look for me coming out during COVID. And I put that little machine I had built to work. And, um, and I will, I, you know, 
like my tricks of the trade to the extent that they work. I, I, I did not rely on my publisher. They have a list of influencers and they, they, you know, bloggers, book bloggers, and they send out the galleys, but I made my own list. So I, I did a ton of content. I, I'm very proficient with iMovie and I can cut movies and get them on um, YouTube and then do previews on my um, Instagram. And I just started doing a ton of content videos, tried to do fun videos. Like I did a, a virtual book tour for the night before in four parts where I interviewed experts on dating. I brought people yeah. to the street where I grew up, which had influenced the backstory, you know, and it just tried to do different things and, and started really attracting the attention of the book bloggers. And, yeah. and I started interacting with them, liking them, following them, commenting on things. Um, I hired a college intern, you know, a lot of, a lot of college students who are in studying media and communications, they will work for 15, 20 bucks an hour, just even a couple hours a week. And they're so good at it. And oh you can God. have them go on and just find people, add followers, um, like things, comment on things. They, they're, this is what they are trained to do um, and what they have been doing since they were born. So they are just innately good at it. So I did that. And then um, I reached out to, I kept a spreadsheet and I reached out to hundreds of Instagram bloggers and I kept track of every single post that was done for, um, for any of my books. I made sure they got copies of Don't Look For Me. And when they posted, I kept track of it. And then on the book, when the book came out, I wrote individually to each and every one and asked if they had room in their schedule to do a story or a post the week of publication. Okay, that's amazing. And they, but so I have my spreadsheet and I, and I, they are the best. So I, I like, I'm so grateful to them. And I didn't realize how, how, um, how much reciprocity there was that they yes. are grateful. They were grateful that I reached out to them and sent them and, and sent them, you know, had the publisher send galleys and, and that I, you know, follow them and like their stuff and comment on their stuff. And it's amazing to have their support. It, I, I cannot, I can, even now when COVID is, is, you know, sort of passing that support from my perspective is amazing. I still am seeing posts about don't look for me. And it's, you know, that book came out in September. So let's talk about that for a second, because yeah. I feel like a lot of people will just, you know, outsource like they'll, they'll hire a publicist. They don't really know what's going on. They don't have that. Like yeah. personal touch. And I always say, yeah, like this, this business is so based on reciprocity, but when, you know, if you're busy with another job or say you're not a full-time writer, you know, especially during COVID, it seemed like if you weren't plugged in mm -hmm. online, then you were kind of irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and the yeah. fact that you did this all yourself, like, how did you come up with this strategy. And also, I, I mean, I watched you from afar because I took a huge break from social in 2020. I was like, I just, I can't be on here all the time. And, but you are so amazing at balancing, promoting other authors work with your own. And I'm just so interested in the time commitment that took and the strategy you know, you came up with, because a lot of people don't feel like they can do this on their own and you've yeah. proven that you can. So talk a little bit about that, just like from the time, time commitment and, and how you batched that in your day. Yeah, sure. So I, I did actually hire a publicist, by the way, for don't look for me to yeah. do additional, um, you know, publicity to, you know, cause that's where, that's, that's where an author, I think really uh, can't, we don't know the reporters. We don't have those connections with reporters for, you know, the the big on the big publications, the New York Times, Us, People, all of those yeah. things, and and even the, you know, the um, uh, the online magazines, um, uh, the Skim, and all of those that yes. you know you see all these roundup lists and. So I had someone doing that because I just that's something that you can't. I don't think you can infiltrate directly as an author. Um, but social media, absolutely, it's time in um, the time you put in is, you know, is going to be correlate to what you get out of it. Um, so two, two questions you had. One is on cross promotion. I'm a huge believer in cross promotion. And the reason is that 
readers, especially of thrillers, they are voracious readers and, yeah. and they love to see, they love to hear conversations between writers. They love to see that we're friends. They love to see, they love to feel like they're, when they are um, watching an interview, that they're getting a sneak peek into, you know, this world of writers um, that they f read and, and love and that they're getting to see our personalities and our, our, you know, what our world is like and, and our friendships. And, um, and, and also there is, this is the part that I really love. I love being on a zoom with, I, I'd rather be in person, yeah. but I love interviewing my friends. I, and now, um, what I, what I started to do, you know, last year, when Zoom was all we had was to put together a really tight schedule of events with other authors. I don't think I did, I, I did a couple of Instagram lives that were solo, but I think every single one of my events, so I was in conversation with another author or I made a panel of two or three authors. And then I would pitch those to, um, and my publicist did as well, to libraries and bookstores. And when you have another author with you, you know, it's just a benefit all around because yeah. now the bookstore, it's like a two for one. You're getting both audience bases, you know, involved with, with the, with the, the content, um, maybe selling books for both authors. And it's just, there's no downside. There's a zero, there's absolutely zero downside. I did, um, last summer I was asked to interview, uh, Frederick Bachman and Ruth Ware and, I was so flattered that they asked me to be the moderator. I mean, those are two huge, huge authors. Yeah. And it was so much fun. And, you know, that was a win for me. I didn't even talk about my books. The people there didn't even know who I was, but, you know, maybe now they know my name and maybe now yeah. if they see my book and they might buy it, but it was just, so there was a benefit to me. And now like this month I'm doing three or four um, interviews for other authors there's just no downside. And, and right. the time, the time it takes to do that is, is very little. It's an hour of your day on zoom, the right. social. So, so that a hundred percent, and it doesn't, it doesn't take much either to, to post about your friend's book, just take a picture of yourself holding someone else's book, or just do a post of their book, take a screenshot from yeah. Amazon and, and post it with, you know, on your, on your social media and tag everybody so they can see you promoted their book. And you know what? They will then promote your book. And that's that was the other piece too. You know, authors need to befriend other authors. And I have another spreadsheet with all of my author friends and I reach out to I them. And I reach out to them and I tell them, you know, if you don't mind, you know, posting about this, about my release and please send me your book, your stuff when you're releasing. And they yeah. do, and we all do. And it's, Amazing. Um, community you know, and network. I mean, yeah, legitimate and network. And I'm I, sure yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm sure mm -hmm. that played such a huge part this last year. And Rhea and I were kind of talking about how you honestly, like in this big industry shift during COVID, you kind of didn't seem to skip a beat. You really yeah. seem to embrace all of the change. Um, we definitely, and I, you know, I, I'm definitely, we're very curious about writing these audible originals. Mm. Um, can you kind of talk about the transition into 2020 and yeah. how you embraced it and, uh, and, and tell us what this, what the audible originals projects, uh, what that is. Yeah. So, oh, I'm so excited to talk about those. Oh, I can't, um, I guess I'm so curious about this. <laughs> yeah. So um, last year was rough because I had written a novel. It was, I think it was not the right novel to be selling. I'm, I was out of contract. It was not the right novel to be trying to sell during a pandemic. And when everyone, I mean, it was, you know, right around March, April, when every, all, every office was closing, people were transitioning. Nobody wanted to really, you know, sort of be making offers to, mm -hmm. to, you know, to an established author. I mean, I, this was, you know, it's, it's to sort of make that transition. And, and even with my own publisher, nobody really, I think things were kind of on hold. So yeah. we just pulled, we just took a step back and, and I ended up writing, ended up just writing this book in like at four in the morning, I had all my sons home from college and work and my, the one who's home uh, in high school 
and they would sleep till 11 and I would wake up at like four with massive anxiety. And I wrote this book that I had told myself I would write in the spring and it it's very quirky and different. Mm -hmm. And we decided that was probably not the best book to, to be going out, you know, for a new contract with, because it was a little bit off brand. And so we just, we just sat tight and I promoted the hell out of the night before paperback. I focused Mm -hmm. on the social, I focused on the networking and look, this is my full-time job. So for Mm -hmm. someone who has a full-time job and, or little kids to homeschool, my kids are older. So I, I had the, the enviable situation of being able to dedicate all day, every day to writing and social media. And, and I did, and media content, editing videos and filming videos and, you know, slapping on makeup, finding good lighting, (laughs) you know, like, like it's, I, you just, I had, I had time to do it. So, so people who didn't have time, like should not feel, I, I, my, I really, Honestly, I don't know what I would have done if I had to home. I wouldn't have done anything if I was home. Girl, mm. it's not. You know, I know you. I know you. That's, that's your life. I know it is. And we started so sorry. a business in 2020 on top of, yeah, oh, and promoting a book. It was so fantastic. <laughs> but uh, so the Audible, this is how the Audible came about. So I, over the summer, I was, um, my, you know, we had been approached by Audible about doing an Audible original. And I started to see a couple of authors I knew doing it, dipping their toe in, doing the short ones. Mm -hmm. And I had always had this idea for a little sequel to All Is Not Forgotten that I didn't think I could write in a full novel because it has a really good twist. And, and it just, it wasn't a deep enough story that I had in mind to, to be in his head for another entire novel. So when they, we approached them with this idea and they loved it. And I wrote that novella and I was so hungry to be writing something that was under contract and yes. not on yes. spec. Oh my God. And yes. I wrote it like before the, I wrote it like in a week before the ink was dry. Wow. I just, all I did was write this novella and it's called hold your breath. And, um, it was, you know, so much fun. It came out right after don't look for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it did well for them. It's a different structure. There, it's totally. not a, it's not a royalty based structure. I mean, it could be different for other authors. So, but yeah, can you talk about that. Yeah, like yeah. So, so they have a look. They have a. They're they are the fastest growing segment of the industry, mm-hmm. um, audiobooks, and that's that was before COVID. So it actually they thought it might contract during COVID because people were no longer commuting and driving anywhere, mm-hmm. but it didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It actually increased. So there, this isn't like a COVID situation. Yeah. They are going to keep growing. People are loving audiobooks, And, um, and so, but when you, you know, they have a subscription model now, so they need content mm-hmm. because they, they, they need to give things, they need to offer things to subscribers for free. And so then it's, is that really a sale? Like if they give, if somebody's sure if somebody subscribes to audible and they get a free novella and I don't know all the packages they have, but maybe you get one free novella and one free long book Mm -hmm. and then 20% off five other purchases or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But then how do you keep track of those sales? If they choose my novella as their free one, and then they pay full price for somebody else's. So it's not, it's not a traditional model, but which isn't to say that that you don't get paid well, it's just a different structure. And, and by the way, I'm a huge proponent of, of advances and getting, (laughs) getting an advance over taking a lower advance and hoping for big royalties, because I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but but so I was fine with that. I did. I I'm do so get an advance? Do you get an advance for the audible original? That's what you get. You get paid. Yeah. You just get paid for it. Now that might change, but yeah. you know, typically I think they pay the author for the, for the, uh, the, the manuscript and, um, and then you don't worry about sales. And can I ask a couple of questions about that? So for people who, you know, haven't had luck going like the traditional route, landing an agent, landing a book deal, like, do you have to be agented for this? That I I don't know. I don't know if they, if they accept some submissions, Mm -hmm. Um, but I do know authors who have not, who have agents and have not 
um, tradition have not published uh, yeah. with the publisher and have gone straight to Audible as an Audible original. And so, which actually I'm, by the time this airs, hopefully the announcement yeah. will be out. But that, that quirky book I wrote last yeah. year that didn't quite, doesn't quite fit in my stable because it's, a, it's about a teenage girl who has um, neurodiversity Mm. And it's in her voice, so it's not as dark as most of my books. I yeah. mean, it's a dark story, but she's an optimistic, neurodiverse girl. So she has quirks and she repeats words and she taps her fingers and yeah. um, her in, her internal thoughts are are quirky um, and go off on tangents. So it's not a it's not as dark as my other books. I, but it's one of the, my favorite things that I've ever written. Oh, I love so that. we just, we just sold that. We didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And so this spring I actually wrote a whole other thriller, which I'm really excited about. My agent has it now. So we'll see what hey. she thinks. And it's my usual dark twisty stuff. But this book, we thought, you know what? We had such a great experience with Audible. They're so, they are so oh. wonderful to work with. They're just, you know, they're, they're very business-minded but, mm-hmm. but also creative, but it's not, um, you know, they have their eye on the prize that what their listeners like, what their listeners want. And they don't ask, I don't think they ask the question, what do I like? What do, yeah. how would, how would I like to see this character? Yeah. The, the editors don't ask that question. They ask, what do our listeners Readers, want? Right, our listeners. And so how does that work in terms of like the deadline, the word count, who narrates? Are you in, I mean, obviously you have, yeah. I'm sure a deadline of some sort, or do you just turn in the novella and then do you get to have a say-so and who's narrating or not? I don't. Um, so the first one we we asked if it could be Dylan Baker, who's um, oh, uh, he's a, so great. Actor. Yes, because he did all is not forgotten, and it was the same character. But here's the cool thing about the novella, the the novel, the full length novel that that is um, mm-hmm. going to be an Audible original, hopefully next year. They, um, you, you know, when you make the deal, you talk about deadlines, and it's like any other publishing contract, where at least mine was. So I'm only speaking from my experience, but my experience was it was very traditional. Like, here's my pitch and here are a few chapters. Yes, we like it. Here's what, here, you know, and then you negotiate what you, the, nice. all the terms in the agreement, including when you're going to deliver the manuscript. I did a very, very detailed outline because um, we're doing something really innovative, which they've started to do with some of their other original full-length novels, hmm. which is to have some scripted scenes. Hmm. So that, if you have a scene with just two characters and it's mostly dialogue, it's, those are written as like a screenplay. Wow. uh, And then they're going to have like an ensemble cast. So most of the most, yeah, it's so cool. So most of the book is actually going to be in the voice of my teenage girl. And I, I don't know who they'll cast for that. I don't think, I don't, I don't think I'll have a say, maybe they'll, off, you know, send me some voices, but I think they're, you know, they have, they know what they're doing. I mean, this mm-hmm. is what they do. So, and, and they ha- audio performers are a whole, it's a whole industry. They're so professional. There are so many wonderful performers and, and they know them all. So I wouldn't begin to get involved in that unless they asked my opinion, but, and I suggest that for all authors, like let them do their yes. job. They're really, really good right. at it. Right. Is it the same, pa- like the timeline for your book to come out? Is it within like a 12, 12 month timeline? Is it less or does it? I just- think it's less. less. I think, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the novella I wrote, I think the manuscript was approved, like edited, all done in, in early August and it was out, um, October 1st. Wow. So yeah. they just have to record it. I mean, that's, they just, that's, that's all, you know, they just have to record it and then it's done. So um, I don't know what the timing of this will be. I'm hoping it'll be before the end of the year. If we, you know, I have a manuscript in and I'm just waiting for edits, but um, the scripted scenes are, it's so much fun because I think when you're listening to an audiobook, there are moments where, um, it gets a little distracting to have one performer reading in a slightly different, like a deeper voice or a child's voice. And then you always have the tagline, he said, she said, you know, so you're having to kind of 
follow along, but when you can have a break and there's just two characters talking and they are different performers and you know who they are, um, it's kind of like listening to an old fashioned like radio play or something. Yeah. Oh, I Super love that. Cool. Yeah. So cool. it's, so it's really, I, I'm so, so cool. excited that this, uh, this book found a home and in such oh, a, that's so you know, I mean, it's amazing too, that you, you really are like, like taking all these different approaches. Yeah. Rhea also yeah. refers to you as the event queen. You guys have done some <laughs> events together. And I did like just hearing you talk about not only, you know, some like kind of like broadening the horizons in, in 2020 and, and, and in COVID, but also like in terms of your, your social media presence and doing these like online events, do you think like after I don't know if we can call it like the big normalization, <laughs> but do you think you'll put stock back into like in-person events or do you think you're going to continue to focus more on the virtual? I think I'll probably do both. And I think yeah. most people will, because the, the wonderful thing about the virtual events is that you can do so many of them yeah. and you can do them with people from everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I had an event last night with, um, Amy Suter Clark, whose book just came out, and she's in Australia. <laughs> and so, amazing. yeah, that is, I mean, you know, so, but I love in person events yeah. because, uh, as Rhea knows, I love what I, yes. what I, I love most is afterwards going out for cocktails. Yeah, that's <laughs> the fun part. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're speaking my language. That's amazing. And, you know, lastly, I just wanted to ask you about your writing, like your, your, quote unquote, day-to-day -day writing routine. Cause I feel like a lot of people, we talk a lot about this though. We, we get more into the business side of things. We do talk about craft sometimes. And I think a lot of writers think, okay, if I'm going to be a full-time writer, that means my ass has to be in the chair every second of the day. And I remember talking to you at one of our events and you were talking about like, you have seasons of writing. Like if you sit down and write a book in spring or, or you write like two to three months out of the year. Is that the same or has that changed for you? Um, it, it's changed a little bit this year because of COVID and having, yeah. having a house full of kids. Um, <laughs> but, um, again, not kids, grown men really, but yeah, I, totally. did, um, I did. Yeah. I, I refer to it as the mom meatloaf stage, you know, like they're, <laughs> they're, if you guys know that reference. Uh, yes, of course. I, <laughs> So, uh, I mean, they're wonderful, but you know, they're, it's, they're, they're learning. They're still learning about cooking and laundry and things. So they're, they're wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. But, and I wanted to spend time with them. That was the other thing. They were home. I, I, it was yeah. a gift. I, all of a sudden I had my two grown boys home and I, I wanted to hang out with them and like, do like, I don't know. It was such a gift. So I did not do I wrote, as I said, like four in the morning until they woke up around 11 and I got that book written. And then I wrote a novella over the, over the summer, which I normally would never write in the summer. But again, mm -hmm. I wrote it in the early morning hours, which I normally would never do either. <laughs> so it's been an unusual year. Yeah. And, but I think, um, I do still look, you can only squeeze so much out of your brain, right? So writing, right. I can do social media all day. I can do content, edit videos. I can read other people's books to blurb them. I can do, I can work 12, 15 hours a day if I need to. I can only write, oh my gosh, a max of six hours. And that has to be broken up with lots of coffee breaks and candy and like hair pulling. Um, usually it's maybe three to four hours lately. Um, but I will, I, if, if I am writing a novel, I will, I will write every day. I'll first thing, and I will not do anything else until I've reached my, whatever that daily goal is. So, you know, I wrote in the last, since I guess, January, I were fully So that, that book that I had, that became the audible, it got completely rewritten. So while the character was in place and some of the plot was in place, when we pitched it to them, it, we, we, my agent and I had sort of restructured it. And I basically had to rewrite the whole thing. So I did a whole outline. So I rewrote that entire novel from scratch and I wrote this other one from scratch. Um, and I, I wrote the, the one for, it's called American girl. I wrote that one first 
I know wrote the outline first. And while that was with the editor, I worked on chapters of the other book. And as soon as I got her comments back, I worked on that manuscript for a month solid, nonstop, every day, every single day, Saturday, Sunday, Monday through Friday, every day for three or four hours at least until um, I had the draft of American Girl done, sent that to the editor. And then I went back to writing the other one and finished it. So it's been like a little bit insane. Um, but I, I think you have to just, you have to write and you have to work and you have to get out of your own way mm-hmm. and, and you have to find whatever it's going to take. If you need to stop outlining and write, if you need to start outlining beef, you know, so that you have something to work from, whatever you need to do. Um, it, it's, it's, um, I think you have to write consistently because you can really get out of sync with yourself and you can, yeah. you can, it's hard. It's yeah. like, don't you find like, yeah. if there's anything else you can do, I will do oh. laundry. I will oh. empty the dishwasher. I will, I will get the yes. dog poo out of the yard. Yes. <laughs> we talk about, it's the only profession that you actively avoid. Like the yeah. plane, like it's yeah. the strangest thing. But then when you get into it, like I'm, I have copy edits due for my fourth book and I've been for some strange reason, just been like resisting it, resisting it, resisting it. And then finally I sat down with it and now I'm like obsessive about it. And that's how I tend to be in writing too. Like I'll resist, resist, resist. And then I get totally sucked in and it just has these like strange peaks and valleys and it's just all fucked up. I don't know. (laughs) I know it really is. It really is. And, and people, you know, they, people say to me like, Oh, you always, do you think you'll always write? Like, honestly, I have days where I wish my job was like balancing like checkbooks for retirees. I don't want to do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like yeah. putting checks in yes. and, and balancing numbers and, and done. You yes. know? I frequently, uh, I frequently get online and uh, try to see if there's any way to apply for a job as like a FedEx <laughs> or UPS delivery driver. Cause I'm like, oh I just God, want I have to have the packages oh in the back of the truck that I know I the best factory worker. Oh ever. my like, God. Turn my brain off. And- I would be so good. Seriously. I would be so good. Yeah, I know. I would, I'm such a good worker B. Yes, me too. Yep. I can yep. work all day. That's why the social media and the video editing, it's just, yeah, you're a machine. It's amazing. I, I could work all day. I love to be busy, but writing it's it is it's, it's brutal, it's torture, and yet it's you torture. love your story. Like yes. thinking about your story is yep. fun. Yep. And then that you go to write funny. it and you're like, oh, can't I just tell somebody this story? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh my god. Um, so uh where um where can people find more ab- about you and your work? We'll include uh, any links in the show notes and what if uh, if anything you can discuss is coming up for you next? Yeah, so um, I am on um, Facebook, Twitter, and mostly Instagram. That's sort of my social media home. And it's Wendy Walker author on that okay. one. Okay. I think Twitter is just Wendy underscore Walker. Um, and my, my um, website has everything. It has tons of videos. All the videos I've been talking about um, links to my YouTube channel, um, all the videos, interviews with other authors, and that's wendywalkerbooks.com. Great. Great. Um, so, and, and yeah, I have pretty much everything there. Book trailers that I've cut myself, which are that's so much amazing. fun to do. So much fun. They're so fun. Um, and then the next, I think the next thing that we'll have is um, the mass market paperback of the night before is coming yes. in the uh, fall. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, American Girl, I'm not sure exactly when that's going to be produced and released, but that should be my next big release will be my Audible original, American Girl. Um, and hopefully they don't change the titles. Oh gosh, gosh, yeah. But it's about it's about an American girl. Anyway, um, and that will be at, that'll be the next thing that's out. And then hopefully you this um we will be seeing another um dark thriller. Yes. We better um, in the next like <laughs> year and a half or so. Uh, 
Yeah. So those are all, and then don't look for me. We'll be out in paperback. I think next, um, in the winter of, of 2022, I cannot believe I'm even saying. That. Oh my God. Oh my God. Don't that even cover. Yeah. It's still probably my favorite cover I've ever oh, seen. Thanks. I remember getting that arc and I was just like, Oh my God. It's, <laughs> it's just incredible. Um, so we love to end our interviews with a quick little lightning round. So no sure. pressure, just kind of saying the first thing that comes into your head. Okay. There we go. All right. So it'd be scary. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. This is not scary at all. No, <laughs> um, not for me, for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Hardly. You really want to look inside my head. Okay. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> um, so best moment as a published author. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, getting the, um, getting the news that, uh, about the offers on the novel and, yeah. and knowing that I had been catapulted halfway up the mountain. <laughs> it was, um, it was tremendous. Yeah. Most important thing you've learned on your paths to publication. Oh, wow. Um, to, uh, lower my expectations and not take anything for granted. And, um, yeah, just really take nothing for granted. Um, you can celebrate in the moment, but, uh, but then get, put your head down and get back to work. Yes. God. Yes. Uh, favorite thing to do when not working. Um, I love being with my kids and I love being with my friends, a small group of people Mm -hmm. and preferably with an adult beverage. Yes. (laughs) All right. Uh, one thing you wish all writers knew. Uh, um, I wish all writers, um, knew the mechanics of, and the finance Mm -hmm. parts Mm. of the business for them in terms of, you know, what they should be looking for and asking for and, and striving for in terms of advances and, and those types of things, um, so that they can position themselves in the best possible way. Oh, so passionate about that. Um, if you weren't an author, you'd be, I would at this stage of my life, I would be, uh, in some sort of nonprofit working for, um, for women's issues, particularly reproductive rights. What do you want your legacy to be? Oh, my legacy. Uh, I honestly uh, just, I want my kids to feel that I gave them the best possible um, childhood, but also sort of um, foundation for having an emotional, an emotionally healthy yes. life and a happy life. Love it. Wine or beer? <laughs> oh. I can't choose. <laughs> no, I can't. It depends. Kind of woman. Uh, yep. I, I, it depends on the day. I would yep. uh, a hot summer day. It's like a cold IPA. Well, is yeah. yeah. But if it's uh, you know a nice lobster dinner, then I'd like a nice Chardonnay. Yeah. So singing my songs. It totally uh, depends. <laughs> totally depends. Can't can't choose. Fiction or nonfiction. Fiction. Mm-hmm. Fiction That's or awesome. memoir. Fiction or memoir. Ooh, okay. There we go. Yeah. Um, best book you've read so far in 2021. Oh gosh. I know it's tough. Um, you know, I just read the push and it's excellent. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yep. What types of writing would you like to see more of in the world? Oh boy. Um, I, I love, I, I love, trauma-based psychological thrillers that are really mm-hmm. character driven and accurate in terms of like psychology. Um, and there are, I mean, you can, you do find them out there, but um, I think there's so much that's plot intensive mm-hmm. and that is, um, and where sociopathic characters come out of nowhere mm-hmm. and you draw the lines. Um, that I love to see. I think that's why I liked the push because it would, that's really what it was a study. It was a study in, in where, where does, where does sociopathic illness begin? Yes. Oh gosh. So interested in that as well. Um, who or what has had the biggest impact on your writing? 
Oh my gosh. Um, hmm. Wow, that's a tough question. I I would say every really every book, every author that I've read, mm-hmm. um, because I learned I learned something from every book in the genre. So it it has to be from other authors, and yeah. and there's not one because I learned something. Even if it, if if there's a book that's not that I don't think is great, I learned something from that. If there's a book that's great. And I aspire to it. I learned something from that. So I would have to say other authors in my genre and a lot of them not, I mean, it's really important to read yes. as much as, as you can in your genre to see, um, you know, just to, to build your, your muscles and your, and get, get new tools. Absolutely. Who's one author everyone, everyone should read. Oh my gosh. Um, one author. That's so tough. For me, it goes book by book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I feel like everyone should read Memoirs of a Geisha. Oh, I love that book. I mean, yeah. it, that book yeah. is so great. And um, I'm trying to think of some of my favorite books. Everyone should read The Kite Runner. Oh, oh God, where is so where's he been? I, I don't know. Um, so everyone good. should read that book. Um, and yeah. For yeah, sure. those are those are two. I mean, those two, two, two of my favorite. Oh my god, beyond. Um, and lastly, one goal you haven't hit yet is. Oh, I, I hate to say this, but I'm I know what you're going to say. Yes, <laughs> I would love to be on the New York Times bestseller list, and I know it is. I like. I know. I know. The every pinnacle is going to be. It's just a thing. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's it just is. a thing. I, you know, it, and it's, it's a thing and I, you know what, it's not just a thing. It's, it's still carrying out to be able to say New York times bestselling author and every yeah. author I know who's sold gazillions of copies of books, uh, but they just have not made that one list. And, and we always talk about, what do we say? International bestselling author, yep. national bestselling author, bestselling author. But once you have once an author has New York Times, even if you rolled on and off um, one list, yep. you will the, that author will use New York Times bestselling author for forever. Forever. That will be that's forever. A, that's an epitaph. Right yeah, and there. it doesn't even matter. It doesn't yep. matter if another book doesn't hit the list, but yep. becomes a movie yep. starring, you know, yeah, exactly. hit or whatever. It doesn't matter. That one, whatever they hit the list with a book nobody's ever heard of, they yep. will always say New York Times bestselling author. So I have to say that that would it would be just really nice to have that issue closed. Uh, <laughs> so. If anybody can get there, I think it's let's you. tie so, that, that one is, up. Coming, <laughs> I'm sure very soon. Uh, Wendy, this was so fantastic, and we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to chat all things books with us. Um, we'll make sure everybody checks out your website, listens to these amazing audible originals and supports you as much as you support everyone else. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for having this wonderful platform for authors and for starting this wonderful business for authors. It's really, um, it's, it's just fantastic. It's, it's a resource that I think I wish I know, I wish I'd had oh, back in wow. the dinosaur days when I was starting <laughs> out. So <laughs> thank you so uh, much. Hey, thanks again for listening to the right way podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment and help us continue to deliver the content you want and need. And for more information about Rightway, visit rightwayco.com to get more info on all our editorial and developmental services and sign up for our weekly newsletter where we'll be sharing exclusive content, access to digital courses, and offering proprietary resources for aspiring and established writers. 